It's the Mego Museum Podcast. Brian and Scott sold separately. Hello and welcome to the second broadcast of the Mego Museum Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm Scott. Hi, everybody. And I just want to start off by saying thank you all so much for tuning into the first one and giving us such nice feedback. I don't know about you, Scott, but 12 hours after it launched, I was at a toy show, and th- and two separate people came up and commented to me on the podcast, and they had obviously listened to the whole thing. So I, I was I was kind of shocked to have such dedication so quickly. That's that, that's very cool. Um, but, you know, I, I love podcasts, and, like, the whole idea that somebody is doing – like an hour-long Mego podcast is is really exciting, and I'm surprised. I'm not surprised that it's us, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I I actually enjoyed listening to it myself. So good <laughs> yeah, job. Actually, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll confess that I listened to myself in it in entirety. Yes. But that's you know you just want to make sure you sound okay. Right. Um, <laughs> so we've got a long episode today, and it's kind of a special one. We're going to sit down with our first guest, and that is Jason Lindsay from Biff Bang Pow. And we're doing a two-part interview. The first one will be about now. The second one will air after Toy Fair, and will be more of a discussion of what's coming up next. Um, I look forward to that this month as well. That's right. So. I thought we'd just start off by talking a few things in, in what the segment we're going to call Mego Buzz, and we'll eventually have a sound for that. <laughs> um, and the first thing I'd like to talk about is that the dates for Mego Meet, our annual convention, have been announced. Uh, that's June 10th and 11th in Wheeling, West Virginia. For those not in the know, Mego Meet is an annual convention we have put on. I think this will be our sixth don't Our sixth, yeah, I think that. I think it's 2005 we started, okay. um, and it is at the Kruger Street Toy Museum. The museum is a lot of people ask me why Wheeling, West Virginia, and not here or there. There's a couple of reasons. The number one reason is the venue, which is the toy museum, lets us have the facilities. And if you're ever trying to hold an event, someone saying, "Hey, please take my 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 hall," that's huge. And that's the number one reason. Second, it's a toy museum, which is very adequate. Uh, None of us, um, I should say appropriate, none of us live close to it either. It's not like it's in one guy's backyard, and that's why we have it there. I I myself drive six hours. And the other thing about Wheeling is it's it's kind of a cheap town to stay in. Um, The hotels are very reasonable. Uh, Restaurants are affordably priced. Um, it's, It's very convenient to have... A weekend toy show, yeah. And uh, for those who haven't been to Amigo Meet, it's a very fun, eclectic group of people who all get you. Right. They're all doll collectors. There's no nobody's judging you for collecting dynamite outfits or making customs. It's all just <laughs> one big toy loving without getting weird. You know, I I tell you now, I I live in California. And so it's it's uh, it's you know it's not as centrally located to some of us as it is as it is to others, um, but I have made the trip to Wheeling twice for Mego Meet, and uh, the first time the first time I walked in you know it's it's in the basement of the toy museum and you know the room is packed with middle aged guys for the most part, and and they're Migos and um, <clears throat> I found it a little overwhelming at first. But I ended up having just the best time in the world. And frankly, like I, it's not possible to go to a better 
Mego toy show anywhere in the world. Yeah. Like 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 anytime you go into a toy show and you know what it's like if you see three Migos you're happy. This mm-hmm. this is wall to wall Migos. This is big boxes of parts and stuff that you can like rifle through and 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 it's really it's it's just it's it's an amazing weekend, it really is. And the and the people, as you said, are are super nice. Um, everybody hangs out at the Wheeling Super Eight until all hours of the night, talking toys and uh, having a good time. So, yeah, I, I I I am a big proponent of Mego Meat. It's a lot of fun. It is not as polished as San Diego Comic Con, but if you're into Mego, <laughs> it's just that it, it's right. just diluted Mego goodness. It's right. great. So props to the guys who put it on every year. It's uh, it's no small task, but they always end up doing a great job. Yeah, and it, there's a lot of great names behind it. Primarily Dave McCormick, who who organizes the show. But we've got guys like Chris Johnson and 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 uh, the Legati brothers and many other people that I'm probably forgetting, and I apologize. Who really help? Doctor Migo is is a, is a big proponent. Um, who really help out with the show, and it's a great effort. Oh, that's I tell you, you have not lived until you've spent an evening with Dr. Migo holding court and telling telling stories uh of of his experiences in the toy business. It's it's really a treat. An interesting tell to the way Migo is going is his crowd gets bigger and bigger every year. Yeah. Especially when he does his his uh, seminar. You could shoot a cannon down the hallways at that time. Right. Yeah. You know? Right, no doubt. No so, doubt. But your, anyways, your your flower arranging seminar is always well attended, though. Yes, yes, I've got a loyal crew. Yeah. Um, one of these days, I've got to put out that DVD. Okay. All yeah. right. So, so uh, yeah, yeah. Book your book your flights now for uh, for Migo Meet. Yeah, and you can check out information on Migo Meet at the museum. Also, check out the um, the Migo Museum forum. We actually have a Migo Meet forum, and they'll answer all your questions about accommodations, how to get there, anything you want to know. Right on. So, and I guess the second uh, bit of buzz we should talk about is the Mantooth sighting. There has been a Mantooth sighting. Yay! The Super Collector, aka Brick Mantooth, has uh, surfaced from China. Uh, Doctor Migo was gracious enough to send me the test shot of the head, and I am elated. Um, it looks exactly like the sculpt, and I, I cannot wait to have uh, 2,000 dolls in my garage. Uh, you should see the grin on my face as we're talking about it. It's, it's really super exciting. Congratulations for, for pushing, pushing as hard as you did to get that, hap- get that to happen. Yeah, and, and I can't wait to start sharing some of the stuff you and I like to create the Super Collector, all the prototypes and and sketches and ideas and concepts which we'll eventually put on the museum uh, we have as to do well, that yeah as well as my journey in putting all these together which i will agonizingly share with you <laughs> you will feel like you're here right on so and uh yeah the the it it, it came out really well it's a, it's a such a nice uh retro looking sculpt and um uh, I think they I think they got the color pretty much right, and uh, I can't wait to have that squishy brick man tooth head. Yeah, wow, I'm, that I'm, sounds so inappropriate. It does, but it's completely safe. <laughs> um, yeah, you know that is that is one of the things that that I'm excited about. It is to somehow having it squishy makes it legitimate. Yeah. 
takes it away from custom and mm-hmm. makes it like wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, and I know that it has been a nightmare for the guys in MC because it's a small run, and I think they've been kind of pushing it through with other things. And I I, I, I laud them for it. There has been time where there's been you know no news is good news, and I've just kept my chin up, and and I'm very happy to see this, and I'm I'm excited that we're probably looking. Well, we don't know when it's coming in, mm-hmm. but it's sooner than later. You know, I would, I would, I would, I would think we'll see it sometime this year. Safe, so, safe to say. Safe to say. So, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm crossing my fingers right now. You can't is. see that though. The customizer of the month was announced the other day, and it's uh, our custom custom Maven Jessica was the honoree this month. And um, I really enjoyed uh, Steve Moore's uh, interview on the forums with Jessica about her customizing experience. She actually is someone who comes to it. Um, she wasn't Amigo. She didn't have Migos when she was a kid. She actually got her first Migo a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. She is a Planet of the Apes fanatic um, to the point where she is completely into actually making her own, you know, latex rubber masks, and she's built amazing costumes, and she goes to comic conventions dressed up as Zira. And hey, she goes to grocery stores dressed as Zira. <laughs> she waters her lawn dressed as Zira. Um, yeah, she's she's fantastic. Um, I, I really really enjoy her posts and her input. I I, I love that that spirit she has. Yes, and she's extremely talented at what she does. Uh-huh. She's um she's actually she's worked on she's working on 12-inch figures as well as as the Mego stuff. She does uh custom sewing. Um I've got my eye on a pair of her designer jeans that she makes. Um and uh so we're just really we're I'm I'm really thrilled to that the Mego Museum has a place that can inspire someone like Jessica and that mm-hmm. then she can come and, and join us and inspire all of us to to make cool stuff. So it was a great choice by Steve for Customizer of the Month. And um, as we get our act together on the podcast, we're definitely going to do a lot more talking about custom customs, talking to customizers. Um, Absolutely. There's, there's a custom, there's always a custom of the week in the forums and, um, we're often blessed with uh, too many good choices um, on any given week. So thanks to all the customizers who come to the museum and contribute your time and talent. Because even if you're not, even if somebody isn't into actually making customs, um, well, they frequently will get inspired to do so. But um, it just makes the whole Mego experience a lot richer for me. So I'm such a fan. Well, you know, and I'd I'd like to go on further by saying a lot of those customizers that started out on the Mego Museum, they've ended up producing things for MC and, and Mattel uh, because of because of it. This is true, you know, and and so they've actually helped in bringing Mego back to the store shelves with their passions and and their talents. So it, it's a really neat thing that that's gone on, and I, I'm very appreciative of it and. Uh, it's amazing how many people are into customs in the Mego in the Mego realm. Yes, yes, no doubt, no doubt, and I think it's it's one of the things that makes having Migos uh, fun. Um, yeah, you know, is the the different things that that you can do with them. Um, and just to trans transition off of that, um, I've had to. I'm I'm making a promise that this will probably that I will not be talking about lost. Action figures from Biff Bang Pal on every podcast, um, but it's been an exciting couple of weeks in, 
with that line, there's been some developments that, that have happened. Um, uh, the word came out from Biff Bang Pow that um, they're looking to get a, uh, they're looking to get more pre-orders on Wave Two of the Lost figures um, before they can actually have confidence to go ahead and and create the run. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, just been trying to get the word out to people that if you're interested in seeing the Lost line of figures from Biff Bang Pow continue. Um, please visit the Entertainment Earth website, or you can visit my blog, The Island of Lost Migos, and place a pre-order. Um, we're going to talk about this a little bit in the interview with uh, Jason Lindsay, but um, uh -huh. when you do a pre-order to Entertainment Earth, you're just putting your credit card down. They don't charge it until the product actually ships, so you're not really losing anything, but you're placing your vote to let them know that this you know, cult property is something that you're interested in. So... Um, just wanted to put that out there, and uh, I've been enjoying my outreach with the Lost community. been trying to get beyond the Mego world and reach out to the Lost fans that are out there to talk about this line of toys, and I've actually had some great experiences over Twitter meeting people who are starting to get into doing customs of Lost. And uh, so hopefully we'll see some of these people come over to the museum at some point and share what they're doing. Um, so some pretty cool stuff is, is starting to happen. So it's, it's been interesting to be out and participate in that buzz and um, carry the message. And this is actually the second podcast that I've been on this week. Um, I got to do a spot on the Jay and Jack podcast, which is a, a very popular lost podcast and one of my personal favorites. And they did an interview with me this week about Migos and uh, they're big fans of the Migo Museum and um, talking about the lost Migos. So uh, it's an interesting time we live in as we are mm -hmm. sort of seeing our particular odd obsession spread out into the rest of the world and see what the rest of the world thinks of the Migo style. It's a big litmus test, and uh, you're doing good work with your with your trying to convert the lost group. I've seen some of the stuff you've done on the boards, and you're getting some opposition, but you're also getting some nice positive response, which is really really encouraging. Right. Well, you know, one of the things that that I think I mentioned this with Lindsay, but I'll just say it again: is that it's it's so easy to to be negative uh, on the internet about stuff. And Anything, not so, yeah. And not, yeah, not so easy to be positive, and and it's been interesting to sort of just keep showing up and saying, well, yeah, okay, I understand that you hate it, and I understand it's not to your taste, but I still like it, and I want to let other people know that if they like it too, that that's okay, and mm -hmm. you know, come on in and join the rest of us. The water's fine, and um, you know, we'll see how it goes. So with that, with that said. Let's go ahead and turn it over to this this interview with Jason Lindsay. Um, I had a, a a great time, as I'm sure you did, Brian. Hearing oh, all of the the sort of insider stories about what it takes to create uh, action figures in this day and age. Absolutely, and I think uh, a lot of people will understand where Jason's coming from. Uh, he's coming at this f being a toy lover and a fan, and that is probably the best place to be when you're when you're doing properties such as his. Okay, so without further ado, here is our interview with Jason Lindsay from Biff Bang Pow Toys. The charge on this Mego Renaissance. Uh, Jason, welcome. Uh, thank you for being our first guest. Oh, thank you so much. I didn't realize I was the first guest. Yeah, your, your sash is coming in the mail. <laughs> oh my god, this is 
this is even more exciting. Wow, I'm, uh, it's like Bill Murray on Letterman. Right on. Uh, tell us about uh, how you got on this journey, because you're, you're, you're not in it for the money, so to speak. It, it's more personal than that. I know you a little, and I know you're an old school collector, and this kind of goes deep. Is that safe yeah, to say? it's funny, you know. It um, to, to give it a real quick um, sort of synopsis of how this happened. Um, you know, I work in in television out here in Los Angeles. I work as a sort of a gun for hire. So I'm, you know, I write on projects. I, you know, they use the term produce, which is very a very loose term. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've directed on things, uh, comedy, music, you know, red carpet things, etc., etc. And and you know, it's not always a year round. Sort of job. I also do voiceover work. Not so to cut you ready. off, but uh, oh, yeah. you produced one of my favorite shows on television, which was Beak the Geeks. I was a producer on that. Not very long, but I was. I was. Uh, I was sort of charged with um, finding some new geeks um, because I had a background. I'm sort of, <clears throat> you know, geeky and nerdy about music and movies and things like that, and so that was one of my responsibilities but it was it wasn't very long but um but yeah i was on that for for a bit and and um bands reunited which i think you and i talked about once that was one of my proudest yeah so you were saying you did voiceover work as well so i do voiceover work too and you know it's you know sometimes i'll get on a show where i'm you know i i I get lucky and it goes on for three or four seasons and i get to narrate it you know on and off throughout the year but the but the bottom line is the work tends to be um you know, it's not, not always year-round. So sometimes you have down periods. You have, you know, five weeks where you're down or two months where you're down until the thing starts. Or sometimes projects get started and you're ready to go, and then all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out. So, um, you know, six, seven years ago I was thinking, well, what what could I do that was sort of a side business that, um, you know, can bring in can, – can, the idea was that it would generate income while I was doing something else, and I didn't really have to, uh, didn't really have to do much. Um, that was the, I, I was the thinking. So like, do I open a coffee shop? Should I, you know, get a real estate license? You know, what, what would I do? And, uh, toys was always a thing for me. I always loved, um, you know, toys. I mean, I was, I was a collector years ago of, you know, James Bond and Indiana Jones. I had huge, huge collections. But since then, since I sold all that, it's sort of been, you know, piecemeal collecting. But what I noticed was that, you know, about 10 years ago, <clears throat> 10, 12 years ago, where you'd, uh, You'd look at stuff that was out there, and you'd think, "My God, this, if you'd ever told me that we'd get Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you know, action figures or twelve-inch figures, like it just that I never thought I'd ever see that." And I, I really do. I've said this before in, in interviews or different things where I really think it has a lot to do with the DVD age, mm-hmm. where you know, fifteen years ago, if you wanted to do something around. You know, greatest American hero. I always use that example or something like that. You go, oh well, you know, people remember it, but how fondly? Well, now you can turn around and get the entire series in one go, and you get a cape with it. Yeah, exactly. And and it's it's sort of um, because of that market. I really do think we we started to see more and more you know esoteric kind of licenses happening. So with that in mind, I thought, how hard can this be? (laughs) There's plenty of stuff out there that has never been made into action figures that oh, I think maybe I could do this. Um, that's the, that's the short version, but that's sort of how it, it, it got, got rolling to think, well, let's, let's see if I can get an action figure thing going and, uh, you know, get, get the, the licenses and the properties that I dig and that I've always kind of wanted, um, on, onto shelves. Nice. And that's, that's where it sort of came from. Hey Jason, this is 
Scott Adams chiming in. Hey, 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 Scott. Good morning. Um, Good morning. So along those lines, so you 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 decide to go off in this business and you start exploring, you know, what it takes to to get a license for a property. Um, what kind of uh, like how did you go about coordinating getting something actually manufactured? Um, going overseas, it's, it's well, not simply you know just hop over to China and hire somebody. I mean, how how did you get into that whole crazy world? Well, this is where this is where Jason Labowitz and Entertainment Earth sort of come into the picture. Is that you know I it was a very sort of um, random encounter. I was at a wedding. Um, and I was, I was best man at this wedding and at the table I was sitting at, one of the other guys that was in the wedding, the, the date that he brought to the wedding I knew had worked at a toy company and he used to work for Hasbro years ago. And I just sort of in conversation was, you know, bouncing this idea around saying, I'd love to do action figures, blah, 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 blah. And she says, Oh, well, we should talk about this. I, you know, I know some people in that world. I didn't know what the hell I, you know, how to even remotely go about doing it. I just had, had these ideas. And it all sort of sparked with, with Flash Gordon, you know, the movie, mm-hmm. and Space, the British TV series that Simon Pegg and Jessica Stevenson, who's now Jessica Hines, but Jessica Stevenson and Edgar Wright um, and Nick Frost all did back in the, in the mid-90s, before Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and all that. Yeah, that was close. the one I thought, this should, this should be an action figure. Like the, the, you know, it, it, that to me was the perfect... Um, encapsulation of what I was going for. Quirky, um, very cult, but very inside. I always thought space really deserved an action figure one because it, it lent itself to it in such a, such a cool way. So we got to talking, and, um, you know, after the wedding, I'd email her a few times, and then she said, well, you have to meet this friend of mine, Jason Labowitz. Uh, and just before the holidays, I think it was 2004 maybe, um, I met up with him, and I, I knew of Entertainment Earth. And, you know, we just got to talking about it, and it was sort of a mutual introduction, like he knew this person and I did, and so it was very cordial. And then it just kind of went away for a while. And the, the, the further along I got with it, you know, the, the further along I got with, oh, wow, you know, people are actually returning my calls now. Because the hardest part was, you know, saying, here's who I am, here's what I'm – getting to the right person was tough enough. Yeah. But then saying, I want to do this, and I've never done it before – was bizarre. So, so I used the leverage of space, which was an ongoing thing, when I finally got to the right people at Channel 4, and that was through television contacts I had. Um, as that was sort of happening, I was making calls to Universal and King Features about Big Lebowski and Flash Gordon. So I used the leverage with space. Instead of saying, making it seem like I'm this guy living in a basement that wants to make these toys, I'd say, well, I've got this thing going on with Channel 4 in England with this series space, and you don't know it here because no one's seen it in America, really, but Shaun of the Dead, blah, blah, blah. That helped sort of get the Lebowski and Flash Gordon thing happening. And the further I got with it, the more I started to go, well, I can only take this so far, and then it becomes, how do I get this stuff made? Once I get it made, where do I put the stuff? How do I get it distributed? And so on and so forth. And that's where the conversation sort of continued with Jason Labowitz, Entertainment Earth, and we decided to partner up and have Entertainment Earth be the exclusive distributor of this Bang Pow product. Hmm. So he saw it as, you know, <clears throat> the next logical sort of step for, you know, someone in his position on Entertainment Earth and thinking, well, you know, 
this could be like a diamond sort of thing where we're not just distributing the merchandise, but we're starting to get licenses and make the stuff as well, and they're two separate entities. Um, and that's, that's so to answer your question the long way around, that's sort of where Jason Labowitz's genius comes in, is, you know, knowing how to get this stuff distributed and, and, and you know, and factories and and having the 12-year reputation that they had, you know, with, you know, wholesalers and retailers all over the, the world, basically. So that was that was huge. I I couldn't have, I only would have taken it so far. You know, I would have gotten the licenses and made it happen. I maybe would have found other partners, but it wouldn't have been as fruitful by by a long shot. Right. You know? Well, yeah. and that that powerful distribution is. I mean, that's that's a big part of being successful in this business. Well, yeah, and it's also a huge part of these conversations because you know it's you know, not only was I untested. You know, the the next question would be, well, what's your distribution? Forget what you forget. First, you had to get past the why do you want to do this, and then you had to get past the who are you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, and then they'd kind of be like, well, we. You know, sometimes they'd be very proprietary in that it wasn't that they they didn't want you to do something. It's that they'd say, well, as far as our catalog is concerned. We'd rather you did something with this title than the Big Lebowski or whatever. You know, so you had to convince them. You had to convince them as to why you wanted to make these toys and why it was a good idea. But then one of the next questions was, well, what's your distribution? You know, how are you going to get this stuff out there once you you do it? Um, so I literally was making it up as I as I went along. I mean, I was having these phone calls and 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 meantime I was you know working on whatever shows I was working on. So. You know, I think I've told you this before, Brian. Where I'm on the I'm on my cell phone in the in the <laughs> driveway of the play of the Playboy Mansion. You know, talking to Universal, saying if we don't get an approval by you know Friday on the voice chip for the Big Lebowski talking you know bobblehead, we're not going to have it in time for Comic Con. Meanwhile, in my right ear, I've got I'm being walkie like we need you up in the the bunny room to you know do this interview or whatever. So it was, <laughs> it was very. It got very surreal. You know? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a tough, tough life, Jason. <laughs> well, yeah. well, I know how it sounds. But, uh, yeah. hey, uh, work is me. work is work. Yeah, work yeah. is work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. So, so let's um, maybe let's then fast forward then from from <clears throat> you success. You know, you produced. Uh, Sort of standard traditional modern action figures for for a little bit, and then this change came where uh, Biff Bang Earth went retro, so to speak. Yeah. The, what, 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 yeah. What, what motivated um, you was, to flip the script like that? Well, it's if you look at our stuff, um, but let's just take you know Flash Gordon and Big Lebowski to kick off. You know, I I knew from from the beginning that. I wanted to do something sort of different and specific towards uh, the, the property. So, you know, when we were still talking about space, I was thinking very urban vinyl, very much like a slightly exaggerated kind of look, very much what we did with the the first batch of Big Lebowski figures, the urban, you know, urban achiever, um, you know, figures that we did. Right. Where, it, you know, you, you knew it was Jeff Bridges, you knew it was John Goodman, but they weren't, you know, McFarlane and NECA-style mm. sort of, you know, portraits. I didn't want to do that for Lebowski. I wanted to do something that, that fit the vibe a little bit better. And the same thing with Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon, to me, was, you know, if this was going to be our one shot to do it, I wanted to do it kind of DC Direct style and make it look you know, that authentic and, and, and portrait style. And so, 
you know, we never really had a set version of, of what all of our stuff was going to look like. We always kind of felt that it could it could bounce around, you know, whatever sort of suited the <clears throat> the title that we were we were working with. And so uh, with Flash Gordon, you know, that was the one that I always said, you know, if if you walked in the store back in 1980, you know, Mego would have been one of the the companies that would have had the license and you would have looked around for it. And, and which we did, you know, I always talk about this. I've talked about it with you, Brian. I've talked about it with Alex Roth a hundred times where we, we were those kids that, you know, went into the stores looking for Flash Gordon toys going, why is it that I can get toys for anything else? But why have I not seen toys for this movie? You know, cause we had yeah. them for the, the animated series, but nothing for the film. Well, so, I didn't even get those in Canada, but I just, I remember having this argument with myself that was the greatest movie ever. Why are there no toys? Like it, yeah. it, it, it made no sense to me. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was, um, you know, I remember it happening again for me anyway with, um, with Last Crusade. And Last Crusade, Indiana Jones' Last Crusade kind of got me back into the odd sort of collecting here and there because I'd stopped for, for many years and I thought, they've got to do something. They did barely anything for Temple of Doom. Where's the stuff for, you know, Last Crusade? And so same thing with Flash Gordon. So, um, but I, but I remember thinking, you know, if we, we could do something fun with this on a retro vibe, um, we could do, uh, you know, a one-off or a couple of figures for Flash Gordon as limited sort of things. I always kind of maybe wanted to do 12-inch figures. You know, Alex and I always talked about it because Alex took his Superman Mego from back in the day and mm-hmm. he made it into a Prince Baron. He put like, you know, tape on the on the upper lip to make a mustache, and he made, <laughs> you know, he made outfits. For, for different 12-inch figures, and he made them. He took it further than I did. He made them into movie versions of, you know, Baron and Flash Gordon and Ming and stuff. And so um, we always talked about maybe doing 12-inch versions of the characters, and then it became this this retro thing. And so uh, Comic-Con, you know, three years ago, two, three years ago, the guys at, at Castaway, who were very cool, you know, because I kind of um, got in touch with them, I loved what they were doing, <laughs> made this uh, this sort of prototype, and that kind of got the ball rolling. And then we started to think about, well, if we can do this for Flash Gordon, what else can we sort of do it for? And and that's when things were sort of, people started talking about this surgeons and how much was this going to kind of come back into vogue. And um, uh, we were standing in front of that case, and I was talking to Jackson Public, Chris McCulloch, you know, Venture Brothers, mm-hmm. that year. And this is, this is before we got the license. This is the year before we got the license. And we're standing there sort of, you know, meeting for the first time, talking about the possibilities, what could we do, and how would we do Venture Brothers. And we sort of were pointing towards the big Lebowski figures with the cloth accessories and the Flash Gordon prototype. And we were saying, well, what about this? Like, we were kind of saying at the same time. And he was like, well, can we do cloth? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, what if we did, like, a retro thing? I said, that's what I was thinking. Like, let's take it, let's take it even further than that. So it really started with Flash Gordon being a logical retro thing to do from 30 years ago. Um, and then we thought, well, why don't we just push this even further, basically. Yeah, I remember you calling me after that meeting and, and asking Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, you, you, I, was, I was on my bike, and you said, what do you think of Venture as Migos? <laughs> and, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, you, you basically <laughs> called the choir. <laughs> yeah, oh. There you go, and and here we are. We we you know we we did it. I mean, it uh, again. It just seemed kind of logical after a while, you know. And 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 Twilight Zone was was a slightly different story in that you know initially 
uh, and I hope this isn't really talking out of school much, but initially, you know, we didn't have the action figure thing. Um, you know, it was a license that I, I you know, went after and <clears throat> was very curious about because I loved the show, and we had bobbleheads and a couple other things. We didn't have action figures, but what happened was we had, you know, Rod Serling's likeness. That was what was one of the most attractive things to me about the license was Rod Serling would be able to finally do something, you know, of Rod Serling. Yeah. And as we started to make a bobblehead and then we started to make a statue, you know, his widow, Carol, um, started to get cold feet and said she didn't want him to be a bobblehead. Mm. And then we said, okay, we'll make him into a statue, uh, like around the same size as bobbleheads. And then that got quashed. And, you know, we, we have it and did have it in our license to do something of Rod Sterling. Ah. But out of respect, obviously, and not wanting to, you know, make a big thing out of it, um, we said, okay, no, no problem. And we said, well, look, if, if this sort of, this avenue is being cut off to us, let's open up the door for action figures. We'd like to do, do that. You know, thinking that we would we'd be able to do something, you know, I knew there was plenty of stuff we could kind of work with, but I didn't expect the response that we've, that we've gotten that's been so enthusiastic um, and the, the amount of characters we've been able to do. Um, and it all just sort of made sense, you know. It just started to kind of snowball from there. Yeah, you uh, you really took the ball and ran with Twilight Zone. I can't believe the mileage and character breadth you've gotten out of that thus far. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks. It's been uh, it's been it's been fun. I mean, it's it's um, there's a, a lot of sort of characters and and creatures and stuff to work with, and then you you kind of go, well, after a while, we're going to kind of run out of creatures and monsters. You know, can we do just people? Uh, are people going to respond to it? And like, I think the Burgess Meredith one is a perfect sort of example. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, people are responding, so so it's, it's possible. There's an audience for it. That's a fantastic looking figure, no doubt. The Burgess, Thank you. Yeah, uh, wait till you Henry see the, the finished, uh, the finished, you know, prototype. Right. The, the true ego head. When you see that, it's going to knock you out. It's just amazing. Yeah, definitely. Some some of the the questions we're seeing on the forum relate to the Twilight Zone. Um, in the, uh, can you tell us? Do you expect to be making more beyond the the two waves that you've released so far? The uh, well, yeah. The, the, in fact, you're going to see um, you're going to see more stuff uh, at Toy Fair. So um, let's see. Yeah, there's going to be there's going to be at least a third wave that we're going to show to the world at at Toy Fair in New York. Um, again, whether whether these come to fruition or not, you know, is really going to depend on the enthusiasm and um, support, you know, for the lines. I know it's, you know, we uh, sort of uh, people are sort of of two minds. Sort of like, you know, when I know it's actually in stock, then I'll order it. I I I much prefer seeing it on the shelf and etc. It's tougher with the cult stuff. It gets it gets it gets harder for us to do that, and of course, climate and the the uh, the cost of production and everything. It gets a little harder to just make without the support. So I, actually, um, I should interrupt of, and say that uh, you can you can uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, pre-ordering at a place like Entertainment Earth really is like a vote for certain things because it tells yeah. it tells you guys, hey, I want this and I'm willing to pay for it. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, and I mean, you know. Uh, Diamond, that's, that's what Diamond does. I mean, I, I have, and I, it sounds like I'm, I'm being critical, and I'm not, but it's, it, it's just kind of how it is. And this could just be a production thing, I don't know. But, um, 
here's some some nerd comments on tape. So okay, <laughs> I ordered the Star Trek II Wrath of Khan communicator that Diamond made. Yeah, I ordered it. I said it. I uh-huh. ordered it. <laughs> you get so no what? judgment here. All right, and it, you know it's going to say Khan. It's going to do all that, and you know, okay, <laughs> wherever cool. I go. But I, I ordered this thing from Entertainment Earth. I think the first time I ordered it, it was due out, you know, December of 2009. So every month I get an update email from Entertainment Earth, an automatic thing saying, your order, you know, should be here in February, should be here in January, should be here in whenever, and it's still not out. So either there's a production, you know, snafu going on, or they're still kind of generating orders and going, okay, now we can make this thing because it's so costly, you know, to make it. So I may never get my Star Trek II Wrath of Khan communicator because there may just just may not be the support um, necessary to make it. But, you know, I've had it on order now for close to two years. So, yeah, it, it is definitely a vote of, yes, I want this thing, please make it. Right. Yeah, I think uh, a, a lot of us aren't really used to, to doing pre-orders. It's not something that I've done in the past, but uh, certainly this experience with, uh, well, I should just say, it's come up in the last uh, couple of weeks about the Lost License. And as as you know, mm. I've been very, a little bit interested in what you guys have been doing with Lost. And so the a little word, bit, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. This week it came out that, that without enough pre-orders for the second wave of Lost figures, we may actually be looking at just a flat-out cancellation of the line. Um, do you have any anything else that you'd like to say about that? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, that... that um, That's kind of an open-ended God, question. Now, when you... When you... When you say it back to me like that, it sounds you know a lot more ominous than it than it than it sort of is. But I, I guess that you know that uh, that that's sort of accurate. The, the, the truth is, the good news is, um, it's just it's so like the Dexter fans. We could make the Dexter bobbleheads till the cows come. Like we could we could keep making that Dexter bobblehead. People never get sick of that Dexter bobblehead. We did great. With the action figure, I look at the Venture Brothers stuff, and not that the bobbleheads aren't moving, but you would think, as Venture Brothers fans, you'd kind of go, well, you know, there's been a sort of wasteland out there for merchandise. Like, ooh, you're doing figures and and uh, bobbleheads? I'll get, uh, you know, I'll get both of those or whatever. But, but, the, but they're diff- two different audiences, you know? They are more interested in the action figures. Um, Lost... You know, I expected, based on everything that's sort of been been generated, I thought it was going to be slow and steady. But in fact, now that they're here, the lost figures are doing really well. Mm-hmm. So um, we keep getting su- surprised by different licenses. Eastbound and Down was kind of quiet for a while, and then all of a sudden, you know, we just had to reorder the the talking bobblehead. So anything can happen. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the lost fans are are coming out and they are supporting it, and. Um, you know, if it's nice and steady, we could we could certainly keep it going. Right. Jason had told me that that sales were actually better than he thought for Wave One for Lost, and um, yeah. I I definitely feel like I mean, I you guys had a lot of challenges with the Lost line, it seems, um, and I definitely feel like the the second wave of figures is is really strong, and there's no you know all of the costume choices make sense. Um, uh, you know, people had some problems with the Hurley in the bathrobe and the Ben and the in the striped pajamas yeah. look. And um, 
And I know you guys have, have said in the past that those costume de decisions, that those sort of decisions were generated by ABC. Um, yes, that was, it was very much, you know, um, everybody's different. Every, every license we've had has been different in, in, as far as, you know, how hands-on it is or where the, the um, suggestions come from. ABC has been, been very different as well. They've been very, very proprietary license, and rightly so. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a huge fan base, but they also, um, you know, they, they've also got a lot of sort of quirkiness to their choices and kind of inside, you know, jokes and references, and it's very winky and very inside. And they sort of took that stance, I think, with not only the choice of characters in a way, but, but, but specifically what sort of outfits they'd, they'd be in. Some of it was at, at times based on storylines where, where they kind of knew ahead of time, well, this might be explored a little bit more this season or, you know, towards the end we're going to see more of this or whatever. Um, won't this be a fun little wink? And then you just, for the first time, you know, we realized very quickly how challenging and how difficult a license is when it's dependent on something that's that's fresh and new, and you're trying to meet those deadlines, um, and then trying to translate that to the network as well, saying, "Well, look, it, you know, on paper it seems like let's let's do this version, let's do this outfit because you know it's it's January, and in May when that episode hits, boy, that's really going to resonate. But if we don't get this thing done by X." you know, date or whatever it is, then it, it's not going to matter because it's, if it comes out in, you know, June or July, we've kind of missed that, that boat sort of. So um, that got very, very challenging with those, with those choices. Um, now, the, and, the, and so, yeah. the, 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 is it, it seems like it's really a timing issue on, on Lost and that uh, your, your license is set to expire sometime this summer. And uh, I guess what, with the sort of delays that you experienced with the first wave of figures, you're kind of up against the wall with the second wave, and that accounts for some of the the concern. Yeah, I mean, as as with anything, I mean, we, you know, I'm probably jumping around here a little bit, but but you know, Doctor Who, for example, I mean, we we were that was a long process to begin with, but but. Once, once you, once we started to get seventy-five, you know, eighty, eighty-five percent there, even though we didn't have, you know, a completed, you know, documents and signed in triplicate and, and all that, you know, in November, you know, we, we didn't we didn't have that until you know January, whatever whatever you want to whatever the date was, but in November, you know, we're we're hounding them, you know, for images and for the approval process and can we get into the system because we knew that by the time you know we get our stuff together and get those things submitted, we are rapidly starting to run out of time if we want to make these deadlines, you know, for, for Comic-Con. So we're always up against it, um, not just production, but the life of the license and, you know, um, how much time you have to market something and to, and to get it out and to, to build up an audience for it as well. I mean, it's, it's taken a while, you know, we, we kind of knew that Venture Brothers was going to be a slow burn in a way. We knew fans were going to be there, but we also thought, are they all going to get on board with this this retro thing? Is everyone going to dig it the way we're thinking and the way the creators are thinking about it? And it took a while. And it really wasn't until it really wasn't until the corrected photos got out and Comic Con hit 
when the figures started to hit at Comic-Con in the summer, that's when the tide started to turn, and people were like, oh, my God, these are beautiful. I can't wait to see what they do next. But it took, you know, that was eight months almost of, of, of buzz and prototypes and everything else to sort of get that machine going. So it's it's before you know it the license is up and if you don't if you don't feel like there's there's uh you know life in it then you know you have to move on. Right. Right. Yeah, well so uh, just to f- I'm I'm going to wrap up lost and then I'm going to let it go. Um, <laughs> right, no, you're not. No, you're not. I, I'm going to let it go for this interview because because we we got a lot of things okay. to talk about. But I did want to, you know, I, I definitely this this business about wave two. You know, I've 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 said it sort of like you know pre-order now or the dog dies. Um, is is a little bit you know a little bit intense. You know, I w- I wish there was a positive spin on it, but I just wanted to I did want to get the message out to Lost fans that like, hey, you know, don't wait. For these things to show up on the self before you decide whether you like them, you know, if you're if you're interested in them, let Biff Bang Pow know so we can keep this thing going. And um, uh, Jason mentioned on the Migo boards the other day that you know if things if things really do pick up and it seems like there's some some more life in that in that license that we you know we might might see a, possibly an exclusive at San Diego Comic Con or some other addition to the Lost line. So there is sort of a. Yeah. a you know, there's there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and and I feel like, based on what I've seen in the lost community, that buzz is starting to build up, and I think this is something I heard you mention on another podcast, which is like the the internet commentary on action figures um, tends to sort of lean toward the negative because it's easier to to post a, a negative opinion about something than a positive opinion, and if everybody's sort of piling on to something it's hard to be the guy who's like well actually i kind of like it um yeah which is kind yeah. of the position i've been in with the lost and and now that they're out and you know we've got more people who are getting together saying you know actually i think these are really great um it feels like feels like the support for that is changing so we'll see how that goes well no listen i i first off um you know what what you said is is fairly accurate i think maybe 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 that's the vibe that should get out there like get out there and support it, or, you know, it, it may not happen. Um, that's not too far from the truth. But but second of all, I want to say thank you for all the enthusiasm and support you've given the line. And I, you know, I heard your podcast, um, you know, the lost thing that you did, and, and I, I read what you what you wrote on the island of Lost Migos, and it was very enthusiastic, and I, it, it helps immeasurably, I'm, I'm sure. So I, I really do appreciate it. And um, it, it is a weird thing. You know, you, we have to develop a very thick skin when we do this stuff with the fans, and we have to take it into consideration what the you know, denominators are and who's out there and what they're, what they're digging and what they're talking about and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. But you hit on something in an email to me, Scott, you, and it's, 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 it, it's interesting. You said something about... You know, I can't believe that there aren't 3,000 people out there that, you know, or 4,000, whatever, whatever the minimum is, you know, that, that want to support something. And it's extraordinary sometimes. I mean, more pe- I get more sort of random emails coming in for Flash Gordon saying, please tell me you're not, you're not stopping the line. Please tell me you're going to, I'm going to get a 7-inch, you know, Voltan and mm. you, you, you please, I, I need a rocket sled. I was like, well, I need a rocket sled too. I, I love one. Like. <laughs> You know, yeah, the too. fact is, we made we made three thousand regular Flash Gordons, three thousand regular Mings, and then a thousand each of a variant of each of the, the the first wave that we did. We sold out of everything, and then we turned around and made Flash and the T-shirt, 
and Prince Baron and Dale and I, um, just just and to Tiger. clarify, this is the this is the mm. the standard action figures, not the the Mego. This is a standard about. seven inch, yeah, DC Direct sort of sort of looking, you know, McFarlane looking sort of if you want to want to call them that. Mm-hmm. And then we turn around and made those. Now, you know, some people will get you know highly critical and say, well, you know, I didn't like the, the sculpt on Dale or whatever. And you know, we we had uh, I had a few little reservations, but try as we might, it was really difficult to get Dale you know, perfect, because she is sort of, and this is no offense to Melody Anderson, I still have a major crush on her, but she's not, you know, it, it's easier to get someone like Spock right than it is Shatner or Dale Arden. There's not, you know, it's, they, there's not a lot sort of to, to work with. But anyway, I was thrilled with them. Alex was thrilled with them. You know, I think that sculpt of Timothy Dalton is beautiful. Um, but the fact is, we only made about 1,500 or so, maybe 2,000 of each of those characters because there wasn't enough support to make the same amount. And so I go, well, why is that? Do, do, do the fans only care about the two main characters? The same thing happened with Lebowski. Once, once the, the dude is kind of like the Darth Vader of that line. We could make the dude in every outfit imaginable and keep it going. But once you get to you know, Donnie and the stranger and Jesus. And Jesus was the one that everybody would come up to me and say, you got to be making, you're making Torturo, right? You've got to make Jesus. And then we made him, and we didn't do half of what we did for the doer Walter. So I don't know what the hell people collect anymore. I don't know what, when I was into something, I got, I got the whole line. I even got the ones that I thought, well, that doesn't really look like whoever, but I'm going to get it because it completes the, you know, Serious. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the the gist is. And I, I saw it with Lost. I mean, this is a worldwide phenomenon. You know, um, even the completists that go, I've got every piece of Lost merchandise. You'd think they'd go, I've got to get these these figures. But it's it's you know, it's it's strange. People, you can't you can't can't tell. It's it's hard it's hard to tell. But I feel like poor Brian is being left out here. Like he's. Oh, that's he's a, making a sandwich oh. or something. He's, <laughs> he's watching. He's he's, he's, he's he's watching a man called Sloan. He's over there doing something else. I actually just placed a pre-order on Entertainment Earth. <laughs> oh, okay. Look at that. Right on. I, okay. I wanted to actually interject because you were talking about that, and uh, some people really have reservations about pre-orders, but I don't see placing an order that you won't get charged until the item comes in as a bad thing. I do that at my comic store, and my local comic store charges me uh, a deposit. Yeah, and that doesn't happen on, on Entertainment Earth or many of these other sites. And so I just kind of, um, I kind of think of it as support and 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 putting a vote in. You've you've, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I give right. it my all. You know, right? You know, we should we should. Yeah, it's should... it's it's. That's... Sorry, that's, no, that's... A, that's a great way to look at it, though. It's like you're 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 actively taking part in something and making something sort of, you know, helping to make something come to fruition. Mm-hmm. If anything, you should, you know, especially as, you know, the geek and nerd audience, everybody wants to say, you know, I was I was part of that. Yeah. You know, then you're able to kind of support something. And what, when, I do when... it with DVDs all the time. You know, you pre-order DVDs to get a better deal or whatever. I was listening to a radio call-in show one day, and they, it was Gene Simmons was the guest. And somebody basically called him a, a, a licensing whore. And his rebuttal to that was, oh, vote by not buying it. And yeah. that that really is 
you know the only thing you can do and it's it's it works in the reverse if you want something vote by buying it or pre-ordering i i I had a segue question there just because you you keep mentioning him what's your relationship with alex ross he's one of my favorite artists of all time i said that's a that's a really personal question and i didn't i wasn't expecting personal i'm kidding i'm totally kidding uh, what? <laughs> I'm having a heart attack over here. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna drop, gonna drop a bombshell about my relationship with Alex Ross. You know, it's just Alex is... and I have been in love since we were twelve. <laughs> no. um, um, Alex, well, Alex, you know, uh, again, a really cool, quick story that I'll tell you. But this is this should be an inspiration, if anything. Um, this was this was Comic Con. I want to say 2005. 2005, I'm standing out at Comic-Con. This is my second or third Comic-Con. I'm at the Entertainment Earth booth, and I have a sign announcing the space license. Literally two days before, on a phone call to the UK, my four million phone call, got the go-ahead from Channel 4 and Big Talk, who kind of you know co-produced this thing, and Paramount Comedy Channel, and they're all like, yes, 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 let's do it. Space, make it happen. You can see across the, um, you know, the, the floor there, the, the hall, and there's a huge banner that says Alex Ross, but it's but it's 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 huge, and it's, it's in the same font as the Flash Gordon logo. So, and I had read somewhere, Wizard magazine or somewhere, that Flash Gordon was Alex's favorite movie of all time, basically. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go over there, and maybe he's there, maybe he's not, um, maybe I'll talk to somebody, and I end up you know meeting his manager, and you know chit chatting about this license I didn't even have yet that was still sort of in the process. And I said, you know, I'd love it if Alex Ross, you know, if Alex could be blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I remember him saying like, oh, the mo- Flash Gordon movie? Oh, the movie? Oh, my God. You're kidding me. Oh, my God. you got to talk to Alex. you got to, you know, you got to, uh, you know, have a conversation. So it took months, and we kind of exchanged emails and, and phone numbers and stuff, and eventually I got in touch with Alex like November of 2005, like Thanksgiving 2005 was our first conversation. And... Long story short, he got on board as the art director of the Flash Gordon line, the seven-inch action figures, because it is his favorite movie of all time. And uh, we've been friends ever since. You know, we have these these epic phone conversations, and you know, we we hit it off because of you know music, a mutual love of music and pop culture and stuff. Um, so yeah, so he 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 essentially art directed the seven-inch Flash Gordon wave. How happy is he about the uh, the eight inch Mego like uh, Flash Gordon figures? Because we know he's a Mego head. He's a huge Mego head, and he, um, you know, Alex is Alex is the guy. We talked the other day about the um, the casting of the new this new Superman, uh-huh. and we were talking about how like every major superhero now is either Australian or, or British, and. Um, and he was talking about the the costume. Somehow, how did we get on the Batman thing? He's like, because like, well, you know, they never got Batman right. The costume, they, ne- they never really got that right. And he starts going on this five minute thing about how you know, if you can make Tim Curry, you know, look like he did in in Legends to get the, his body to look like this, you know, muscular guy, why can't we do it with Batman? Yeah. So it's never going to be quite right. You know, he told me the other day at eight years old, much as he loved Christopher Reeve, when he was eight years old, he never thought that he was big enough to be. Superman, right? So um, he got the uh, the Flash Gordon stuff. We just talked about the day and how cool he thinks they are, how thrilled he is with them. But he's like, but you know, the thing is about the head. He, I don't know what he was talking about Ming's head or something, and how maybe the ear could have been different or something. Like it's <laughs> never going to be quite 
quite there for uh, for him. But he's thrilled about him, and um, you know, we we wanted to do more of them, but we're we're very happy and lucky that we got these out. He's thrilled. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Fantastic. Yeah, very, yeah. So, um, I got a question from the boards. I wanted to ask um, regarding the Venture Brothers and your use of molded feet instead of shoes. Now, is that a decision for aesthetic quality, or was that a cost decision? Um, I think it was kind of a combination, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I think it was more like aesthetic that we could we could pull something off that looked very unique, rather than sort of use you know a standard shoe or um, you know a re a redo or something. We could make something look like a loafer or you know, a, a sneaker, and we thought it would look a little cooler than, you know, a slip-on high-top sneaker or something. I love Dr. Venture's Beetle Boots. I think they're just fantastic. Oh, great. thanks. That's great, because, I mean, I remember that was something that sort of we kind of pushed back and forth on with, with Chris, because he he wanted them to go up even higher, and I thought, again, aesthetically, that we pulled it off, that it looks like a little boot, and it, it looked, you know, it looked right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's good to hear. No, I love him, too, and he... Um, he was very particular about those those looking like little uh, Italian ankle boots. Hmm. Yeah, I was I was uh, pleased when the Lost Figures came in that for the most part they're wearing removable shoes, and you actually had like made some like on, on the guys. There seems like you're kind of reusing the standard Mego shoe, but right. on a couple of the female figures, they've actually made completely new slip-on shoes that I thought were very cool. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, and and uh, Hurley's uh, slippers were pretty good too. Um, another question I had that I've been thinking about, similar to that, just as far as like the aesthetics of of the Migos that you're making, and I've noticed this with the the Mattel Retro Action superheroes too, mm. is that the the skin tone is a lot lighter than what we're used to in Amigo from the '70s. We kind of joke about the Mego suntan and, and people frequently ask me why my Superman appears to be Latino. Um, mm-hmm. but, but there's, so I'm wondering, was there a lot of discussion as, as you guys were updating the, the Mego style as to, as to that particular issue? Not really. I mean, it's, it's funny that you mentioned it. It never really, you know, I'm not, um, you know, like I, I, I sort of am one of those people that, you know, has their fingers in a lot of sort of, you know, pop culture subjects and, and topics and stuff. And, you know, Brian, you quiz me about, you know, the coolest and lamest James Bond toys over the right. years and so on. Like, I know Mego and I know that world, but this is literally the first time I've ever heard the term, you know, Mego tan. So I really wasn't even aware that there was a a sort of skin tone, um, historical skin tone thing going on with, with the Mego figure. So we, uh, I certainly wasn't aware of it. And uh, it wasn't anything sort of conscious other than trying to get it, trying to get it, you know, looking, you know, flesh tone, like trying to get it sort of looking, looking, at, you know, as accurate as, as we could. Yeah. A running joke in college was I used to have the Space 1999 uh, British figures above my, uh, above my living room. Mm-hmm. And a buddy of mine used to always come in and say, I love their tans, but don't they live on the moon? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, they had they had tanning beds. That's on, right. On <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, well, yeah. So no, that, that's a new that's a new one for me. 
Uh, I just, it was just well, about us getting it right, I think. Okay, well, I, I, I mean, I think we guaranteed you that if you came on the Mego Museum podcast, you would get some of the nerdiest Mego questions possible. Sure. Um, that's... So that's, that's one of them. All right. Um, but, you know, it's, I'm interested and impressed with, with uh, sort of the, the breadth of licenses that you've applied the, the retro style to. You've um, created a universe. Between, I mean, Venture Brothers is, you know, obviously very cartoony, and then, you know, the Flash Gordon, the Twilight Zone with its beautiful black and white tint, and then the Lost, which is, you know, for a more realistic show. There's a lot of variety that you guys have have taken on. I, I must admit, I was also checking out the Scott Ian at a toy show recently, and it's it's awesome. It's a really well, thanks, good figure. Yeah. yeah, it's it's funny, it's... Um... It really isn't until I sort of step back because we kind of have to just we just keep moving, you know. And it's, sometimes it isn't until you get the, the the finished piece in your hand that you sort of can step back and go, "Oh, that really, man, I'm really proud of this. That really turned out." But but I guess you know the the just recently I was looking at uh, the newest Entertainment Earth catalog, and there's a great two page spread, actually two and a half pages because the previous page is like a bunch of lost stuff, and then when you open it up, it's like a two page spread of all of our stuff and I was kind of looking at it like wow this is, we really we really at, at a certain point kind of bit off more than we could chew I mean I mean we were finishing up we thought we've got the Flash Gordon and the Lebowski license we're going to do the retro thing let's let's plow ahead with that plan and, and at least get those out so that was sort of like a, a, an added bonus feature on the DVD kind of like let, let's do those as well we're just going to do you know one offs you know, for those, and really dive in with the rest of them. But yeah, it's 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 like, you know, I guess, and you guys can correct me on this, and this really isn't me trying to boast, but I, you know, technically, it 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 does sort of harken back to the Mego days, where one company sort of had this many different licenses going on in this many different genres. You know, cult comedy, rock and roll, animation, classic television. You know, current television. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on there, and I, I, I'm guessing probably not since you know the Miko days, late seventies, early eighties, right? Yeah, yeah, and and you know, it, it's kind of interesting. You guys really don't have one traditional Miko. Their, their main staple was superheroes, right? And you don't have one superhero yet. You've got these great licenses that are that, that have people talking, and I think that's a great that's a great thing too. Oh, good, man. That's, that's that's great to hear, mm. and more more to come. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, yeah, it's a good it's a good eclectic mix, and I think it's it's a reflection of sort of what we're into and and everything that I've sort of been into for a long time. And you know, Lost, I was you know always a fan of Lost, but you know, on a scale of one to ten, if Scott's like an eleven, you know, I'm like a you know five or six. I, I dig the show, but I was never like obsessive about it like I am about you know Twilight Zone and. And the rest of them, it was more like, can we do this? And they were very enthusiastic, and you know, we we did it. But um, but yeah, it's kind of a reflection of all the the shit that I'm into. And, and Are love. you? Um, one of the questions on the board was about um, the. Are, are you? Uh, do you have to get uh, approvals from actors on the license on the likenesses, or is it pretty much just through the licensee? Uh, it depends. Okay. It depends. You know, someone like Jeff Bridges. Yeah. You know, um, Scott Ian, obviously, he's a, you know, he's a friend, so he, he looks at stuff. Um, you know, Flash Gordon, 
you know, it's just kind of they have the license and they have approval and that's all that sort of counts there. You know, Venture Brothers, obviously, it's their animated characters, but that all goes through through Jackson Public and, and you know, and myself. You know, we kind of go back and forth. Um, you know, stuff is happening with um, with Twilight Zone. Um, well, I guess... <clears throat> No, this I, I can talk about this because it I just it was in the catalog that I looked at last night. Uh, William Shatner for Twilight Zone. Uh, you'll be seeing some. I won't elaborate much on that, but that's uh, huge news. I could say I just noticed a William Shatner bobblehead on the Entertainment Earth website, and yeah. we could conjecture that that might go somewhere else. My goodness, I cannot confirm or deny such conjecture, but. Uh, something like that, for example, would go through Senior Shatner's Mr. Shatner uh, himself. Mr. Shatner. Well, that would be that would be pretty cool. That that would be wonderful I, I to have a non-Kirk figure of William Shatner. You know, actually, I mean, if you want to get into crazy cult stuff, I've always thought that somebody should just do like a whole Shatner cult line with like white Comanche. And, you know, like, oh, yeah. you know the Esperanto Shatner. I mean, the Devil's like, Reign. Yeah, Devil's Reign. Fighters. Right. That that can, creepy can we, airplane uh, movie. Can we Bad do the? Let me dig that moment too. Yeah. Well, you guys aren't Canadian, so you wouldn't know this, but he, I guess, he had a career lull in the mid to late seventies, and he started doing uh, commercials for a grocery chain in Canada. Yes, oh, I've seen those. The Loblaws? Yeah, they're yes. really bad. <laughs> I've seen those. He, um, he, the word is, in the early 70s, he was literally driving around the country uh, with a little mini trailer because he was so broke. Mm. Um, it's in his book, Get a Life. Yeah, it's not. it wasn't until the, the motion picture that, that his fortune started to kind of turn around because he was, he was just doing the game show circuit because Star Trek was so big in syndication. Uh, like a lot of famous Canadians, he would start to come up and do um, uh, the Canadian TV circuit, mm. and, and he would—he uh, was a regular on a show called the Joyce Davison Show here. And I, I just remember being a little kid and watching him with that big toupee. Yeah. You know? <laughs> wait, 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 wait! He wears a toupee. He, yeah, yeah. Well, allegedly. I mean, do we have any proof of this? Uh, he. Um... Yeah, I remember being a kid seeing him. I thought it was so cool when you'd see him on, you know, Tattletales or Match Game or one of those yeah. shows. It was like seeing him out of... It's the only way you'd see him out of character. Out, you know, when you'd see Nimoy on In Search of, it was just like a, a revelation as a kid. Like, oh, he's he's talking differently. and he looks <laughs> You yeah. know, that was that was all we had back before YouTube. All these kids watching YouTube today, rotten kids. We we had a we had a Canadian show called The Star Lost, which would put Doctor Who to shame on uh, low budget. Uh, yeah, Harlan Ellison. Harlan Ellison. Yeah, he, he stormed off that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> and Walter Koenig was the big guest star for a couple of episodes, and it's sure. it's pretty funny to see him kind of you know getting work in Toronto. You know. Well, they couldn't uh, they couldn't get Major Barrett, so they they went for they got Walter Koenig. Yeah. <laughs> so. That concludes the first part of our interview with Jason Lindsay from Biff Bang Pow Toys. We really appreciate his time. Um, we will have part two of the interview with Jason 
coming up next weekend. We think we're going to release it Sunday the 13th or Monday the 14th, sometime in there. Basically, as soon as the word is officially leaked out of Toy Fair, then we'll, we're going to go ahead and roll with that interview and share with you all of the amazing things that are coming uh, in, in the, for this year from Biff Bang Pow. It'll be a very spoiler-laden episode. Excellent. Yes. All right. So in the meantime, uh, this is Scott and Brian wishing you a happy Mego week. And thanks for listening to the Mego Museum podcast. Take care. Migo.